Section 91 of Greece and Rome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. The World Story, Volume 4, Greece and Rome. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 91 how the empire was saved from the huns 450 a.d by sir edward shepherd creasy in the list of the fifteen decisive battles of the world that of chalons holds a prominent place the goths under alaric had swept through rome and italy the great roman empire was becoming more and more feeble the question was whether the huns heathen savages or the partly christianized goths should inherit its power and become the strongest people of europe the people of chalons answered the question the editor the year four hundred and forty five of our era completed the twelfth century from the foundation of rome according to the best chronologers it had always been believed among the romans that the twelve vultures which were said to have appeared to romulus when he founded the city signified the time during which the roman power should endure the twelve vultures denoted twelve centuries this interpretation of the vision of the birds of destiny was current among learned romans even when there were yet many of the twelve centuries to run and while the imperial city was at the zenith of its power but as the allotted time drew nearer and nearer to its conclusion and as rome grew weaker and weaker beneath the blows of barbaric invaders the terrible omen was more and more talked and thought of and in attila's time men watched for the momentary extinction of the roman state with the last beat of the last vulture's wing moreover among the numerous legends connected with the foundation of the city and the fratricidal death of ramus there was one most terrible one which told that romulus did not put his brother to death in accident or in hasty quarrel but that he slew his gallant twin with inexorable sin deliberately and in compliance with the warnings of supernatural powers the shedding of a brother's blood was believed to have been the price at which the founder of rome had purchased from destiny her twelve centuries of existence we may imagine therefore with what terror in this the twelve hundredth year after the foundation of rome the inhabitants of the roman empire the tidings that the royal brethren attila and bleda had found a new capital on the danube which was designed to rule over the ancient capital on the tiber and that attila like romulus had consecrated the foundations of his new city by murdering his brother so that for the new cycle of centuries then about to commence dominion had been bought from the gloomy spirits of destiny in favour of the hun by a sacrifice of equal awe and value with that which had formerly obtained it for the roman a strange invitation from a roman princess gave him a pretext for the war and threw an air of chivalric enterprise over his invasion honoria sister of valentinius the third the emperor of the west had sent to attila to offer him her hand and her supposed right to share in the imperial power this had been discovered by the romans and honoria had been forthwith closely imprisoned attila now pretended to take up arms in behalf of his self-promised bride and proclaimed that he was about to march to rome to redress honoria's wrongs ambition and spite against her brother must have been the sole motives that led the lady to woo the royal hun 
for attila's face and person had all the natural ugliness of his race and the description given of him by a byzantine ambassador must have been well known in the imperial courts it was not until the year four hundred and fifty one that the huns commenced the siege of orleans and during their campaign in eastern gaul the roman general Ateus had strenuously exerted himself in collecting and organizing such an army as might when united to the soldiery of the visigoths be fit to face the huns in the field he enlisted every subject of the roman empire whom patriotism courage and compulsion could collect beneath the standards and round these troops which assumed the once proud title of the legions of rome he arrayed the large forces of barbaric auxiliaries whom pay persuasion or the general hate and dread of the huns brought to the camp of the last of the roman generals king theodoric exerted himself with equal energy orleans resisted her besiegers bravely as in after times the passage of the loire was skilfully defended against the huns and adius and theodoric after much manoeuvring and difficulty effected a junction of their armies to the south of that important river on the advance of the alleys upon orleans attila instantly broke up the siege of that city and retreated toward the marne he did not choose to risk a decisive battle with only the central corps of his army against the combined power of his enemies and he therefore fell back upon his base of operations calling in his wings from arras and Besançon, and concentrating the whole of the hunnish forces on the vast plains of chalons sur marne a glance at the map will show how scientifically this place was chosen by the hunnish general as the point for his scattered forces to converge upon and the nature of the ground was eminently favorable for the operations of cavalry the arm in which attila's strength peculiarly lay it was during the retreat from orleans that a christian hermit is reported to have approached the hunnish king and said to him thou art the scourge of god for the chastisement of the christians attila instantly assumed the new title of terror which thenceforth became the appellation by which he was most widely and most fearfully known the confederate armies of romans and visigoths at last met their great adversary face to face on the ample battleground of the chelons plains Aetius commanded on the right of the allies king theodoric on the left and sagapan king of the alans whose fidelity was suspected was placed purposely in the centre and in the very front of the battle attila commanded his centre in person at the head of his own countrymen while the ostrogoths the Gepidae, and the other subject alleys of the huns were drawn up on the wings some manoeuvring appears to have occurred before the engagement in which ateus had the advantage inasmuch as he succeeded in occupying a sloping hill which commanded the left flank of the huns attila saw the importance of the position taken by adius on the high ground and commenced the battle by a furious attack on this part of the roman line in which he seems to have detached some of his best troops from his centre to aid his left the romans having the advantage of the ground repulsed the huns and while the allies gained this advantage on their right their left under king theodoric assailed the ostrogoths who formed the right of attila's army the gallant king was himself struck down by a javelin as he rode onward at the head of his men and his own cavalry charging over him trampled him to death in the confusion but the visigoths infuriated not dispirited by their monarch's fall routed the enemies opposed to them 
and then wheeled upon the flank of the hunnish centre which had been engaged in a singular and indecisive contest with the allans in this peril attila made his centre fall back upon his camp and when the shelter of its entrenchments and wagons had once been gained the hunnish archers repulsed without difficulty the charges of the vengeful gothic cavalry aetis had not pressed the advantage which he gained on his side of the field and when night fell over the wild scene of havoc attila's left was still undefeated but his right had been routed and his centre forced back upon his camp expecting an assault on the morrow attila stationed his best archers in front of the cars and wagons which were drawn up as a fortification along his lines and made every preparation for a desperate resistance but the scourge of god resolved that no man should boast of the honour of having either captured or slain him he caused to be raised in the centre of his encampment a huge pyramid of the wooden saddles of his cavalry round it he heaped the spoils and the wealth that he had won on it he stationed his wives who had accompanied him in the campaign and on the summit attila placed himself ready to perish in the flames and balk the victorious foe of their choicest booty should they succeed in storming his defences but when the morning broke and revealed the extent of the carnage with which the plains were heaped for miles the successful allies saw also and respected the resolute attitude of their antagonist neither were any measures taken to blockade him in his camp and so to exhort by famine that submission which it was too plainly perilous to enforce with the sword attila was allowed to march back the remnants of his army without molestation and even with the semblance of success it is probably that the crafty aetis was unwilling to be too victorious he dreaded the glory which his allies the visigoths had acquired and feared that rome might find a second alaric in prince thorismund who had signalized himself in the battle and had been chosen on the field to succeed his father theodoric he persuaded the young king to return at once to his capital and thus relieved himself at the same time of the presence of a dangerous friend as well as of a formidable though beaten foe attila's attacks on the western empire were soon renewed but never with such peril to the civilized world as had menaced it before his defeat at chalons and on his death two years after that battle the vast empire which his genius had founded was soon discovered by the successful revolts of the subject nations the name of the huns ceased for some centuries to inspire terror in western europe and their ascendancy passed away with the life of the great king by whom it had been so fearfully augmented end of section ninety one this recording is in the public domain